On Christmas Eve in 1945, a devastating fire tore through the Sauter family home in Fayetteville, West Virginia. The house was occupied by George Sauter, his wife Jenny, and nine of their ten children. Although George, Jenny, and four of their children escaped the fire, five of their children were unaccounted for and their bodies were never found. For eight decades, the disappearance of these five children has remained an unsolved mystery. Welcome to Jespiracy, the podcast that delves into true crime and mystery stories from around the world. I'm your host, Jessica, and in each episode, we'll explore the details and theories surrounding some of the most notorious cases in history. From unsolved mysteries to infamous killers, we'll examine the evidence, discuss the impact of these crimes, and attempt to uncover the truth. So, grab a cup of coffee and join me on this journey as we navigate the murky waters of the unknown and attempt to unravel the mysteries of the world around us. George Sauter was born in Tula, Sardinia, Italy in 1895. At 13, he immigrated to the United States with his older brother, who returned to their homeland after clearing customs at Ellis Island. George rarely spoke about why he left Italy. He found employment on Pennsylvania's railroads, delivering water and supplies to workers. Eventually, he settled in Smithers, West Virginia, working as a driver and later establishing his own successful trucking company, transporting fill dirt and coal in the region. George married Jenny Cipriani, a fellow Italian immigrant and daughter of a storekeeper in Smithers. The Sauters eventually settled near Fayetteville, a town with a significant population of Italian migrants. They lived in a two-story timber frame home two miles north of town. In 1923, they welcomed the first of their 10 children. George's business thrived, and the Sauters became a respected, middle-class family within the community. However, George's strong opinions, particularly his vocal opposition to Italian dictator Benito Mussolini, occasionally led to heated arguments with other members of the Italian community. In 1942, Sylvia, their youngest child, was born, while their second oldest son, Joe, had already left home to serve in World War II. On Christmas Eve, 1945, Marion, the oldest daughter, brought new toys for her younger sisters as gifts. Excited, the younger children asked their mother if they could stay up later than usual. By 10 p.m., Jenny granted the children permission to stay up a little later. She assigned Maurice, 14, and Louis, 9, the responsibility of putting the cows in and feeding the chickens before they could retire for the night. George and the two oldest boys, John, who was 22, and George Jr., 16, who had spent the day working alongside their father, were already fast asleep. After reminding the children of their remaining chores, Jenny took Sylvia, who was two, upstairs with her, and they settled down to sleep together. 
The telephone rang at 12.30 a.m., awakening Jenny. She proceeded downstairs to answer the call. The voice on the other end belonged to an unfamiliar woman inquiring about a name she didn't recognize, while in the background there were sounds of laughter and glasses clinking. Jenny informed the caller that they had dialed the wrong number. Vividly recalling the strange laughter, she ended the call and made her way back to bed. As she returned upstairs, Jenny noticed the lights were on and the curtains still open. Tasks the children typically attended to when staying up later than their parents. Marion had drifted off to sleep on the living room couch, leading Jenny to assume that the other children who had stayed up later had retreated to the attic where they slept. Jenny closed the curtains, turned off the lights, and settled back in bed. At 1 a.m., 30 minutes later, a loud bang on the house's roof awakened Jenny, followed by a rolling noise. After hearing nothing more, she went back to sleep. After about a half an hour later, she woke up once more, noticing the smell of smoke. Upon getting up, she discovered that the room where George had his office was on fire, near the telephone line and fuse box. Jenny woke George, and he woke their older sons. The parents and four of their children, Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr., escaped the blazing house. In their frantic state, they called out to the children who were still upstairs, but received no response. Sadly, they couldn't get up the staircase as it was already engulfed in flames. Initially, John stated in his initial police interview that he had went up to the attic to wake his sleeping siblings, but he later altered his account, claiming that he only called out to them without actually seeing them. The attempts to seek help to rescue the children faced unexpected complications. The phone in their home didn't work, so Marion left to a neighbor's home to call for the fire department. A passing driver also tried to call from a nearby tavern, but was unsuccessful. Eventually, either the neighbor or the driver contacted the fire department from another phone in the town center. George, with no shoes, tried to scale the exterior wall of the house and broke open a window, injuring his arm. He and his sons planned to use a ladder in the attic to rescue the remaining children, but the ladder was not in the usual place and couldn't be found nearby. Additionally, the water barrel that could have been used to extinguish the fire was frozen solid. George then attempted to bring both of his business trucks closer to the house and use them to reach the attic window, but neither of the vehicles would start, despite functioning perfectly the previous day. The six sodders who had escaped could only watch in frustration as the house burned down and collapsed within 45 minutes. They sadly assumed that the other five children had perished in the fire. Because of the challenges posed by the ongoing war and limited manpower, the fire department did not respond promptly. Chief F.J. Morris, unable to drive the fire truck himself, had to wait for someone available to operate it. When the firefighters, including one of Jenny's brothers, arrived, they could only search through the remaining ashes in the solder's basement, 
By 10 a.m., Morris informed the Sodders that no bones were found, which would have been expected if the missing children were inside the burning house. There are conflicting accounts regarding the discovery of a few bone fragments and internal organs, with some suggesting that the information was withheld from the family. Modern fire professionals consider the search conducted by the firefighters to be brief and inadequate. Regardless, Morris believed that the unaccounted children had perished in the fire, suggesting that the intensity of the flames had completely consumed their bodies. After the incident, Chief Morris advised George to keep the site undisturbed for a more extensive investigation by the State Fire Marshal's office. However, unable to bear the heartbreaking sight any longer, George and his wife buried the remains under five feet of dirt. They intended to transform the area into a memorial garden for their lost children. Death certificates for the five children were issued on December 30th. The local newspaper's report was contradictory, initially claiming that all the bodies had been recovered, but later stating that only a portion of one body was found. George and Jenny, consumed by grief, were unable to attend the funeral held on January 2, 1946. Soon after rebuilding their lives, the Sauter family began questioning the official explanation surrounding the fire. They found inconsistencies that raised doubts. For instance, despite the fire allegedly being caused by an electrical issue, their Christmas lights remained on when the power should have been cut. Additionally, they discovered the missing ladder from the night of the fire, abandoned 75 feet away from the house. A telephone repairman revealed the phone line had not been burned, but deliberately cut by someone who had climbed up the pole. A suspect was identified for stealing from the Sodder's property around the time of the fire and cutting the phone line, but his connection to the fire was denied. Strangely, no official record of this suspect exists, leaving the motive behind his actions unclear. Jenny believed that if the power line had been cut, they would have been trapped inside the house. Jenny also found it difficult to accept Chief Morris's belief that the fire had completely consumed their children's bodies. She observed that the household appliances and fragments of the roof were recognizable in the ash, contrasting it with a newspaper account of another fatal fire where skeletal remains were found. Jenny even conducted her own experiments with animal bones, which never completely burned. A crematorium employee confirmed that the human bones typically remain after being subjected to much higher temperatures than the house fire. The failure of the solder's trucks to start were also suspicious. George suspected tampering, possibly by the same person who stole the equipment and cut the phone line. However, it was suggested later that the engines may have been flooded due to the family's haste. Some theories even connected the wrong number phone call received on the night of the fire. However, investigators located the woman responsible for the call, confirming it was a genuine wrong number. These mounting inconsistencies 
left the Sauters with lingering questions and a growing sense that the official narrative didn't fully explain the tragic events of that fateful night. As spring approached, the Sauters fulfilled their promise by planting flowers in the soil covering the house. Jenny dedicated herself to tending the garden for the rest of her life. However, new developments in early 1946 intensified their belief that the children they were memorializing might still be alive. Evidence emerged suggesting that the fire was not caused by an electrical fault, but had been intentionally set. A bus driver reported seeing individuals throwing balls of fire at the house on Christmas Eve. Months later, when the snow melted, Sylvia discovered a small, hard, dark green, rubber ball-like object in the nearby bush. George believed it resembled a hand grenade or an incendiary device used in combat. Recalling his wife's account of a loud thump on the roof before the fire, the family disputed the fire marshal's conclusion, asserting that the fire had actually started on the roof, although there was no way to prove it at that point. Multiple witnesses claimed to have seen the missing solder children themselves. One woman, who observed the fire from the road, reported seeing some of the children peering out of a passing car during the blaze. Another woman at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston claimed to have served them breakfast the following morning, noting a car with Florida license plates in the rest stop's parking lot. Prior to the fire, when Mussolini was overthrown and executed, George had expressed criticism towards the late dictator, resulting in lingering animosity. In October 1945, two months before the fire, a life insurance salesman visited their home and, after being rejected, issued a chilling warning that their house would be engulfed in flames and their children would be destroyed, citing George's disparaging remarks about Mussolini. On another occasion, an individual who claimed to be seeking employment inspected the back of the house and cautioned George about the potential fire hazards posed by a pair of fuse boxes. The Sauters hired a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley to look into the case. Tinsley uncovered information indicating that the insurance salesman who had previously threatened George before the fire over his anti-Mussolini sentiments had been part of the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident. Additionally, rumors circulated in Fayetteville that despite telling the Sauters that no remains were found in the ashes, Chief Morris had discovered a heart, which he buried after placing in a metal box. The local minister allegedly learned of Morris's confession and shared it with George. Confronted by George and Tinsley, Morris agreed to reveal the burial location of the metal box. They unearthed it and took its contents to a local funeral director. After examination, the director revealed it was fresh beef liver that had been exposed to fire. Further rumors circulated, suggesting that Morris had admitted to fabricating the box with the liver, hoping the Sauters would find it and be convinced that their missing children had perished in the fire. 
Once, George saw a picture in a magazine that resembled his missing daughter, Betty, who he believed could be a ballet dancer in New York City. He traveled to the girls' school to see her, but they denied his requests. George also reached out to the Federal Bureau of Investigation to seek their help in investigating the suspected kidnapping. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover responded, stating that the case seemed to be a local matter and not within the Bureau's jurisdiction. He mentioned that if the local authorities requested their assistance, the FBI would then provide help, but the Fayetteville Police and Fire Department declined to involve them. In August 1949, George convinced Oscar Hunter, a pathologist from Washington, D.C., to lead a new search at the house site. They discovered various items, including a dictionary belonging to the children and some coins. Several small bone fragments were also found, identified as human vertebrae. The bone fragments were examined by Marshall T. Newman, a specialist at the Smithsonian Institution, who determined that they belonged to a single person. Based on their analysis, the age range of the individual was estimated to be between 16 and 22, which made it unlikely that these bones belonged to any of the five missing children. Newman noted that the bone fragments showed no signs of fire damage. He also found it peculiar that only these bones were found, as a wood fire of such a short duration should have left behind complete skeletons of all the children. It was concluded that these vertebrae most likely came from the dirt that George had used to cover the site. Tinsley, the private investigator, allegedly confirmed that the bone fragments had originated from a nearby cemetery in Mount Hope, but he couldn't explain why they had been taken or how they ended up at the fire site. The Smithsonian returned the bone fragments to George, but their current whereabouts are unknown. The investigation and its findings received national attention, and the West Virginia legislator held two hearings on the case in 1950. Governor Oki L. Pattison and State Police Superintendent W. E. Burchett informed the Sodders that they deemed the case hopeless and closed at that state level. Eventually, the FBI would become involved and initially considered it a potential interstate kidnapping, but discontinued the investigation after two years due to a lack of fruitful leads. Despite the end of official efforts, the Sauter family persisted. Flyers and billboards with their children's pictures were posted, offering a reward the billboards became iconic landmarks in Fayetteville. After the fire, a reported sighting of the children emerged. A woman who ran a Charleston hotel claimed to have seen them a week earlier. However, her credibility was questioned as she saw their photos years after the fire. George investigated leads including a claim of Martha being held in a convent and overhearing a conversation about the fire in Texas. None of these leads proved significant, 
George also had doubts about a relative's children in Florida resembling his own. In 1967, he traveled to Houston following a tip, but the individuals mentioned denied being his missing sons. The Sodders received a letter with a picture resembling Louis, giving them hope. George admitted the lack of information was frustrating, but vowed to continue the search. After his death, Jenny and the surviving children persisted in seeking answers. The family even theorized the involvement of the Sicilian Mafia. Sylvia Sauter Paxton passed away, believing her sisters had survived. Online forums and media coverage have contributed to their efforts. While some believe the children perished in the fire, others remain open to alternative possibilities. The Sauter family's determination to find their missing children, Maurice, Martha, Louie, Jenny, and Betty, touched the hearts of many. Their enduring love and relentless pursuit of truth shine through their tireless efforts. Their story serves as a reminder of the unbreakable bond within a family and the everlasting power of hope. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Your support helps more than you know. Also, please be sure to check out my YouTube channel where I'll be sharing video versions of these episodes along with exclusive content. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes or want to share your own stories, please feel free to reach out. Until next time, stay safe, stay curious, and always remember to look beyond the headlines.